Hello and welcome to Journal Sessions on the Bold Love Podcast with Pastor Bob Roberts Jr. Journal Sessions is a weekly podcast that features a look inside Pastor Bob's journal on the things that he is thinking deeply and praying deeply about among some stories along his journey. And on this episode of Journal Sessions, Pastor Bob goes into part one of his short series called The Fruit After Revival and how to not get in the way of a move of God. Take a listen. Awakenings, revivals, renewals, whatever you want to call them. We see them as things that happen out of the blue. We don't expect them. And God just sovereignly does it. But the reality is there are many things that precede those outpourings, uh, people and prayer and other things that happen. And I think about that when I think about the president of Asbury, Dr. Tennant. Uh, He's also related to Gilbert Tennant, the Gilbert Tennant. Who's Gilbert Tennant? Gilbert Tennant was one of the top people in the First Great Awakening who even preceded Jonathan Edwards. There's an ebb and flow to what God does throughout history. And it's never just about us. We're the result of someone else's prayer, the soil that's been prepared in our own heart and in our own life. And then God moves. But how do we know it's a move of God? And what happens in those awakenings beyond the actual event, if you will, beyond the actual nonstop prayer meeting that took place at Asbury? Let me give you some practical things that I've seen in my own life as I've experienced renewal throughout my life at different times. And I've also been through dry seasons and I've been in churches that have experienced renewal at Northwood. And when I was a young preacher, I saw some renewals. And I have a rather unusual background in that my dad pastored a church called First Baptist Lindale. And he was an incredibly strong expositor. And we were shocked one Sunday when this man who was dealing with drug addicts from from New York City showed up with all these teenagers getting off drugs uh, named David Wilkerson and an organization called Teen Challenge. And so my dad asked him, he said, so why are you here? Why aren't you at the Assembly of God Church? To which his response was, I can teach him what I want about the Holy Spirit but I want him to get the word of God. And I know that you'll teach him the word of God. And it was amazing how Leonard uh, uh, Ravenhill moved there. And I was in his home often many times. And Keith Green, I knew him as a, as a, as a goofy guy, hippie with curly hair and the Agape Force and Dallas Home and Youth with a Mission. And, and none of those groups were tied to uh, a Southern Baptist church that was, for the, all practical purposes, a cessationist when it came to issues of the gift of the Spirit. But the reality is they impacted us, and we impacted them. And even to this day, uh, there are things that happened to me as a teenager growing up around the Wilkerson kids and others that, that had a profound impact on my life. How do you know you've been through a renewal? And what's the fruit of renewal? A lot of times we just see it as that revival service or the repentance time, but it's far more than that. Uh, There's this, first of all, an in and out expression of renewal and engagement. It's not just the end. Oh, God, forgive me. I've sinned. Fill me with uh, the Holy Spirit and, and just just you know, top me off, give me everything that I need. And and I want to experience your fullness and your presence and so can to experience all that you are. But the reality is in legitimate awakenings and renewals, it's not just taking in God, but it's breathing out the kingdom of God all throughout. Prayer awakening that took place in the 1850s 
led to some of the greatest preachers America ever saw. D.L. Moody, Billy Sunday, some of the evangelists, some of the pastors. A lot of people see that prayer awakening as being absent pastors. It really was. It was a matter of people just coming together all over the Northeast and praying, and God fell, and He moved, and He did profound things. The interesting thing, that prayer movement, many pastors came out of that. So there was the in-breathing experience of, of we're praying, and we're meeting with God, and He's doing things, but God is calling other people into the ministry. Uh, there's also a sense of repentance and restoration. So we get right with God, and our hearts deal with the darkness, but we also see things in the community that are not right. Finney dealt with child labor laws. Uh, and, and so he was very concerned about what was going on. Uh, we teach our uh, planters at GlocalNet, uh, don't ask, how's my church? Ask, how's my city? Uh, really, you should ask both. But the reality is, we can't say church is great if the city's going to hell. We've got to be concerned. How are we responding? Uh, would, uh, Finney was once asked this question. They said, why do you think we're experiencing such a great awakening in the North, but not the South? To which he replied, they've not dealt with the issue of slavery. So there really is a sense in which when renewal came, it impacted social evils, uh, things that were wrong. Does that mean everything became perfect and righteous? Not at all. And, and one thing very important, it always breaks my heart when I read the history of Jonathan Edwards and I find that that he had slaves. So was that revival, was it real? I believe that it was, but it was incomplete. It didn't accomplish all that God wanted to. It took others coming on the scene. So does that mean revival is incomplete or it doesn't work? Not at all. It broke the hard ground in their hearts so that they could get further down the line to deal with something else. And so there is a sense in which repentance and, and getting right with God and these renewals that happen, it leads to many things in society that need to be addressed. Also, if we look at some of the great awakenings, they led to some of the biggest mission movements in the world, the prayer awakenings and then the move of God in the 1870s and 1880s in parts of the U.S., led to something called in the early 1900s, the student missions movement. And so there's this symbiotic response between great awakenings and the raising up of missionaries all over the world to go in mass. So once again, breathing in, breathing out. And, and we also look at other issues. I think about the awakening that's going on right now, the renewal that we're experiencing. You know what I'm excited about? There's no way this renewal is going to be what God wants it to be without dealing with racism. And I was listening to some lectures Ori Fish did on Great Awakenings and, and moves of God like this. And he, and he said that when God moves in a profound way, the church generally is just going step by step by step. But when there's an awakening, uh, a, a renewal, a revival, that the church moves by leaps and bounds, and it addresses issues by leaps and bounds. And I look at our culture today and some of the some of the wackiness where we are, some of the crazy stuff that that even in the church, it's impacting us. And and we're thinking, oh, that doesn't matter. But Scripture says it does matter. And I look at other issues of racism that we're dealing with. I believe God is going to deal with those situations as a result of movement right now, because as we've talked about renewal, and you look at it on social media, everybody said, uh, you know, is it going to be legitimate if it ultimately doesn't deal with racism? And I, I think it will, because I think if the world sees it, 
and we Christians also know that it's wrong, then, then what does God want to do that outstrips anything the world would do? And, and I'm convinced of this. We really need these moves of God because without them, we get stuck. And it takes sometimes God to move in a profound way to move the church where she needs to be. The second thing that we see is not only this in and out expression and ebb, ebb and flow of renewal, but there's profound spiritual awakening that leads to long-term and deep spiritual maturity. It really does. It's true that there are some people that that after that experience, they walk away or, or the fire doesn't remain. But be clear, there are many people that experience God in those experiences. And as profound as they are, it doesn't stop there. Now, maybe they don't have quite the same spiritual or emotional highs that they had, but spiritually it goes deeper. I remember the first time God really spoke to me in a renewal sort of way. I'd been to this conference and I'd listened to this man talk about how that as Christians, we really have no rights. We've given all our rights to God. And as believers, we need to empty ourselves. And so one night as a 13-year-old sitting in a, a friend's car in front of the parsonage there in Lindell, Texas, I began to list every right that I had. Not that a 13-year-old has that many rights, but I give them all. God, I give you my mind. I give you my future. I give you whoever I'm going to marry. I give you all of my money. I just literally from about 10 o'clock at night until 2 in the morning, me and that guy, sat out in the front yard in his Rambler, and all we did was pray and say, God, I give you everything. And, and I got to tell you, at, at, at about two in the morning, something happened. I mean, just God came over me in a profound way. And maybe like Moody says, like waves of liquid love came over him. I don't know. I just know something so profound happened. I couldn't talk. I couldn't speak. And when I did go into the house, the first thing I did I would have gotten into trouble had my parents known I was sitting out there till two in the morning. But I went to their room and I said, Dad, Mom, I, I don't know that I can explain it all, but God's done something in my life. But it didn't stop there. It impacted our youth group. And we had this guy named Raymond Volkner, who became our youth minister in, in uh, 72 to about 74, maybe 75. And for me, he was the gold standard about what a youth minister ought to be about. And that began to impact us. And so, you know, he was preaching revivals and things like this as a, as a young person. But we'd get together in cars, all us guys, we'd go, we'd have prayer meetings. And we would experience God together. And, 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 and yes, we would hunt and do crazy stuff and, and have fun. Not, not anything, you know, wicked or sinful for the most part. But, but we would experience God in that youth group. It wasn't just what happened in my life, but God was doing the same thing in, in many of those guys. And then I remember what God began to do in my life. I started preaching youth revivals. And I'd go preach these youth revivals, like little churches running 30 and 40. And by the third night of the youth revival, there'd be standing room only in these churches, not because I was a great preacher. I wasn't. I mean, I grew up in East Texas. You screamed, you hollered, you scared them to death. You told them stories about Lassie getting hit by a car, get them all emotional, tell them come to Jesus. I didn't do that. I just stood up. I'd talk. I'd tell them about Jesus, tell them that if they're Christians, they're backslidden. They need to confess their sins. They need to get right with God and say, come on, people, let's pray. Come on, get down here. Let, let's all get right with God. I, I didn't know there was a certain way to do that or not. 
And God would move for hours in many of those revival services. My dad, one night, you know, he, we were from a non-charismatic background. And I remember uh, coming home really late from one of those meetings. He says, now, son, you have to be careful. They're going to start thinking you're Pentecostal or something like that. Now, you want the spirit to move. But it made him very nervous. And, and I understand his concern because there's a lot of craziness that's out there. But the reality is, for me, when God began to work, it just kept going like cha-ching, 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 go just a different level every time, going down, moving down. And, and then something profound happened. When I was in my 20s and I was going to Baylor, I remember my dad got really sick and he nearly died. And there's some things that happened at his church that were tough and painful. And uh, people just got crossways with one another unnecessarily. That's all I'll say. But some ugly remarks were made and my dad had resigned the church and he got sick and he couldn't move out of the parsonage and some people were complaining about it. Not the majority of the people, just a few people, but it upset me so much that while my dad was in the hospital, literally I got a U-Haul moving van and they'd already bought a house. And literally me and my little brother and another guy, we moved them. And um, my mom and dad didn't like it because they were scared I'd tear up all their stuff. And I probably did. But I remember driving back to Baylor after I'd worked hard all weekend to get her. I said, God, well, why did you allow that to happen? My dad gave his life to that church. and It was tough. It was hard. Why, why did you do that? And then I said something very important without realizing. It. I said, God, you could have stopped it. You could have prevented that. And it's like he said, that's right, Bob. I could have. But I didn't. And all of a sudden it hit me, God, what are you trying to teach me? See, I knew what it was to be excited about Jesus in my life and to spread that. But did I know what it meant to be so full of God that when things went wrong, when people I looked up to, I lost respect for, or I was let down or I was hurt, could I still keep my faith in him or was it in somebody else? It was a critical lesson. Renewal prepares us for that. See, renewal is not living in the moment of some ecstatic high, but it's having the spiritual maturity that says, come hell or high water, I'm walking with you, Jesus. Doesn't matter how good, how bad, how hard. I remember one time when I was in my 20s, I didn't understand at the time the significance of Keith Green and Ravenhill and Wilkerson and all those because I was young and I just... You know, they were in a different tribe that came to my dad's church, but we were never associated with them except going to prayer meetings at their house or stuff like that. But I remember I'd come home from Baylor and and I'd go see uh, Ravenhill and I'd sit in his house and his wife, Martha, would fix us tea and cookies. They're English people. And so for two hours, I'd sit and listen to him go on about renewal and prayer and revival. And and, and it was incredible. Uh, but I didn't understand the significance of that man. And I remember making a comment to one of my friends at Baylor, uh, said, what'd you do? I said, well, I spent a couple of hours with Ravenhill. What Ravenhill? Leonard Ravenhill? Yeah. You know Leonard Ravenhill? Yeah. I, I didn't understand. And so all of a sudden he told several guys and he said, hey, would you take us and let us meet with Dr. Ravenhill? I said, sure, I will. I'll, 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 next time I'm in Tyler, I'll stop by and I'll ask him. So I did. And you know what he told me? He said, no. I said, what? Why are you saying no? He said, Bob, let them come back when they're in their 30s. I said, what do you mean? He said, I I've just watched it my whole life. People in their teens and in their 20s, they go up and down. But by, some, by the time somebody gets in their 30s, there's a sense that 
that they're in the fullness of life now. For good, for bad, it's present. And if they're serious about it, I want to talk to them. Now, I didn't know at that time that most great awakenings were started by young people. So you might say, why would he say that, knowing that they could have sparked an awakening? Well, those awakenings that were sparked were sparked by God. And it was never through theological understanding or even spiritual maturity that sparked those renewals. But they always led to spiritual maturity. And it's one thing for Ravenhill to preach at a meeting, encouraging revival and renewal in spiritual life. But quite another thing, who am I going to spend my time in, pouring my life into so that they can grow, so that they can mature? I remember also thinking, you know, when we started Northwood and it grew and God was blessing and people were accepting Christ. And, you know, I just thought, you know, this is what it's all about. As long as things are going great, I want to be happy the rest of my life. But then I found out just because a church grows doesn't mean everybody's always happy. And so there would be challenges. There were things that in my 50s, we started dealing with the desegregation of our church. That's what spiritual maturity led to. How could I know that God is alive, living in me, and that I'm a pastor, and that that I'm working around the world? And I don't make sure that our church is desegregated so that African-Americans or Hispanics or Asian-Americans, whoever, can always be not just welcome at this place, but a part of this place. What does that look like? And then if God lives in me, what does it mean to love people that I fear, love people that I even consider my enemies? So we start loving Muslims and so forth. Here's my point. When I look at those things that took place in my life, the sign of revival was not those meetings where I experienced God's presence and power. They were important, but it was the fruit that came after them. It was a maturity. Here's something else that takes place when there's a new renewal, not just the in and out of the kingdom coming in and the kingdom flowing out, not just the from, from a spiritual awakening to spiritual maturity, but there's always something else that takes place. It's from an, uh, it's from an old community to a new community. In other words, it may actually be the same people, but together you've experienced something. You understand something together. There's something that happened in your heart or in your mind or in the way that you think that fundamentally changed the relationships that you have. And, and there's a newness in those relationships of pursuing God, of listening to him, of, of seeking after him. Well, what does that look like? What does it look like to be around like-minded people? This is where... Jim Hilton was so valuable to me, and Roy Fish, and and uh, Leighton Ford, and 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 Lauren Cunningham, and and uh, some of my spiritual fathers that I love so much. They 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 poured into me. There was a there was a connection. They were way ahead of me spiritually in every way, but there was a level of communication because we both experienced something. You understand that as Christians, when we accept Christ, Jesus makes all the difference in the world. So there's this new relationship. I want to tell you, there's also a spiritual bonding that takes place between people who have experienced the filling, the fullness, the release of the Holy Spirit. And there's also another spiritual bonding that takes place with those who experienced that, but they moved on to spiritual maturity. And so the question becomes, who do I read? Who do I listen to? Who speaks into my life? And the beautiful thing about awakening is it starts us at a very immature, baby, almost spiritually childlike milk level of survival. But if we continue to grow along the way, 
that God brings people and relationships into our life that begin to forge us and shape us in ways that we never could have understood. But it only happens when there are similar encounters that have taken place. And when people like that come together to do ministry, watch out, because God's going to do something incredible. And and and, and it also is the idea that it leads to things that you don't expect. Somebody, I was in a particular country while the Asbury revival was going on, and somebody who has uh, very tight uh, connections at Asbury, very tight connections with me, uh, was texting me, praying about where we were and what we were doing in a very sensitive part of the world. So I just sense God at work with what you're doing, with what's going on at Asbury. For me, it's almost the same thing. And and I would not say that we had revival where I was, but we were sharing the gospel in ways and, and building peace in ways that should not have been possible. And so what's happening is there is a breakthrough that's taking place. And this is what revival does. It leads us to points of maturity and breakthroughs through alignment that we can do so much more. Thank you so much for joining us for Journal Sessions with Pastor Bob Roberts Jr. on the Bold Love Podcast. If you were impacted by this conversation, we would like to ask a favor. First, if you found this episode impactful, please share it on social media and recommend it to a friend. Second, like most podcasts, we are able to make these impactful conversations happen with support from partnering organizations and individuals like you. If you felt led to support these type of conversations, you can do so now and give at support.boldlovepodcast.com. Whether it's a single gift or a monthly donation, we are so thankful for you. For more information on this podcast, show notes, and any other references, you can go to boldlovepodcast.com to get all the information there. We appreciate you joining us. And remember on the Bold Love Podcast, we encourage you to live out your faith boldly, learn how to better love your neighbor, and learn how to relate to others despite your differences without compromising your faith. See you next time.